Welcome to episode 73 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Casey Neistat. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey people, welcome to the show. I'm Rich Roll, your host of the Rich Roll Podcast. What do we do here each week? I bring to you the best, most inspiring forward-thinking paradigm-busting minds in health, fitness, wellness, diet, nutrition, spirituality, entrepreneurship, artistry, yoga, meditation. We cast a broad net. Basically, my only rule for this show and for my guests is, are you living an inspiring, authentic, and extraordinary life? Are you of service to something greater than yourself? Can we, as the audience, benefit from what you, the guest, has to offer? What do you bring to the table? Uh, and in return, you, the audience, you guys, you take the tools, the messages, the inspiration that resonates with you and implement these ideas, these concepts, these tools, or just the general inspiration from the stories that I'm sharing with you. Implement them into your life. The focus is implementation. Osmosis, it's only going to get you so far. It's a two-way street. So hopefully, as a result of these uh, chats, you become better as a result. I know I have uh, as a result of this experience of doing the podcast. So that's my goal, pure and simple. Uh, today on the show, we are doing a little bit, uh, something a little bit different. Um, you know, usually my guests are very health and fitness oriented doctors. We talk about food, we talk about all that kind of stuff. And today uh, we're making a little bit of a detour, but I am super <laughs> Super excited uh, to bring to you uh, today's conversation. Uh, Casey Neistat is a guy who uh, inspires me tremendously. And, you know, I find inspiration in all different kinds of forms. Um, it isn't just athletes or triathletes or ultra athletes or wellness warriors. Um, it's all different kinds of people. Uh, it's, it's people that show a spark, uh, people that really are raising the bar, pushing the boundaries of what they think they're capable of and people that are living uh, extraordinary lives. And Casey certainly fits that category. He's a guy who chooses himself. He's a guy who uh, is a man of bold adventures, I guess you could say. He lives his life on his own terms. He's very uncompromising in his art. He's incredibly authentic in his creativity. And he's an example of what can happen when you devote yourself to something with everything that you have, when you work super hard, believe in yourself, stick to who you are, refuse to compromise, move forward in the face of all obstacles, have faith, and most importantly, have the courage to be bold, to make a statement, and to really stand tall and say, this is who I am. So if you haven't heard of Casey, uh, he is a filmmaker. Uh, I first heard of him, I think it was about 2008, 2007. I got a phone call from uh, a guy I went to high school with who I had not spoken to in, in quite some time, many, many, many years, a guy called Tom Scott. And we were catching up and he was telling me what he was up to. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm uh, producing this uh, show on HBO. It's called The Nystat Brothers. And I'd never heard of it. And he's like, yeah, check it out, um, which I did. Uh, and he sent me a link to a YouTube video that Casey had made. The, basically, the, the HBO series was about Casey and his brother Van as film, living as filmmakers in New York City. And it's a cool little show. 
Um, it only ran for, I don't know, eight episodes or something like that. But uh, if you can, I think you can still get it on HBO.com or HBO Go. Uh, so all you guys should check that out. But anyway, Tom shared with me this YouTube video that Casey had made. And it was a, it was a video of him running through the streets of New York. Um, and it was kind of a branded video for, for Nike. And this was some years ago. If you're familiar with Casey, he's made a more recent, uh, extremely compelling viral video for Nike that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But this was, this was years before that. And there was something really cool and captivating about this video. It was just so authentic. Uh, and it was about, you know, just sort of his passion for running and, and getting it done. And uh, I started following him then, and I've watched every video that he has made ever since. Uh, his YouTube channel is quite something. Uh, he's got about a quarter of a million followers, subscribers on YouTube, uh, made, I don't know, 80 plus some odd videos. Uh, and every new video that he uploads raises the bar, and you can see the progression in his artistry with each new offering. And he's constantly, uh, constantly uploading videos. And they are they kind of span the spectrum. Some of them are very vast in their scope, and some of them are very small and personal. Um, but at the core of all of them uh, is a very authentic message of a guy who's exploring his life and trying to uh, find the adventure in the big things and in the small things. Um, and there's just something really captivating about his style, his sensibility that uh, I absolutely love. And the inspiration comes through in his uh, refusal to compromise, to always be true to who he is in his in his full authenticity, I suppose. Uh, and even if you haven't, if the name doesn't sound familiar, you still may be familiar with him. He uh, About a year ago, he made uh, a video for Nike. Nike approached him, said, uh, we're interested in having you create a video for us. We're launching the Fuel Band, and we're, it's under the slogan of make it count, like hashtag make it count. And uh, he took the entire budget for this video and decided that he was going to travel around the world until he ran out of money and document it. Uh, what he didn't do was tell Nike that that was what he was going to do with the money. And so he essentially just flew all the way around the globe and filmed everything that he did, all the adventures that he had. And he cut this together into an extraordinarily compelling, motivating, and inspiring video called Make It Count, and it's got like 10 million views. If you haven't seen it, uh, go to richworld.com. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Uh, you should definitely take you know five minutes and, and watch this thing. I guarantee you it will improve your day. And more recently, you might be familiar with Casey because uh, he made a video uh, for the promotional campaign for the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And essentially what happened was the marketing department at 20th Century Fox, the studio that made that movie, contacted Casey and said, listen, we're, uh, we're getting ready to launch this movie. We, we have a marketing campaign under the kind of auspices of living your dreams. We're interested in whether you would like to make a video uh, for us along this, these lines. And he basically responded and said, yeah, I'm interested, but uh, what, here's my proposal. Uh, send me the budget for the movie, and I'm going to go to the Philippines uh, and give all the money away in aid to the typhoon victims. And that's essentially what he did. He went there, he documented it, he filmed it, and uh, again, hits it out of the park with this extremely touching, poignant, uh, and inspiring video that uh, I think has like 3 million views at this point and only, and only came out, I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, 
he makes his living uh, doing sort of branded entertainment, uh, but or branded videos for uh, for companies. But his passion really is in making these YouTube videos. He doesn't monetize his videos; he just puts them up, and uh, they're just super cool. Uh, and I was going to wait a couple weeks to put this interview up because uh, I had other ones sort of stacked in front of it, but uh, I was compelled to put it up earlier because the day after. Uh, I visited Casey in his amazing studio uh, in New York City, uh, which is sort of like this crazy loft with that with all this. I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, I think in the podcast interview, I call it something like a, a merging of Willy Wonka with uh, some kind of Dr. Seuss sensibility. It's just packed with all sorts of things. It's incredibly organized, but it's really kind of the artist lair in every sense of the word. But anyway. Uh, the day that we went in to do the podcast interview, he was extremely busy trying to complete a cut on a project that he was working on and he didn't have very much time. So this is shorter than my typical interview. Um, but he was saying, Oh, I hope it snows tomorrow. I've got big plans, got big plans for the snowstorm. And sure enough, it did snow the following day. And he went out in New York city and made a video of himself snowboarding all over Manhattan and he, he hooked up a water skiing tow rope behind his Jeep and had uh, his friend drive around New York City and tow him on this snowboard and made this video, which is really fun, super cool. And it, it just exploded. It went crazy viral. And in five days, it already has five million views. It was everywhere. It got picked up by all the news stations and kind of published all over the internet. And so kind of uh, to, to honor, you know, this, this sort of cool moment that he's having, I thought it was a good time to put the podcast interview up. So that's what I'm doing today. Again, this is a shorter interview. Uh, he just didn't have that much time, but it was super cool to meet him being a big fan of his. And his message is really inspirational to anybody out there who is struggling, who feels stuck, who feels like uh, they're not tapped into who they really are. Because this guy is an example of truly living his life authentically in every single moment. And again, that's what inspires me. And I think that's a message that resonates with all of us. There's a lot to be learned by somebody who is refusing to compromise and who is living bold. And that is certainly the essence of who Casey Neistat is. And uh, I'm really proud and excited to share this interview with you guys today. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this interview. Casey Neistat. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort 
no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care especially because, unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. It's uh, it's super cool to be in your awesome studio. It's this wild 
I mean, everybody can see it on the internet and I've saw, I've seen all the videos and stuff like that, but even seeing those doesn't do it justice to being in here. It's this crazy Willy Wonka meets, uh, it reminds me of like Dick Van Dyke and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you know, he's <laughs> like this mad scientist. The, um, child catcher and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is the source of many nightmares for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember that guy, like the long skinny nose. Oh yeah, I know, right? Children with candy and then for kidnap sure. them. Yeah. What a terrible movie for kids. <laughs> Mathis loves it. Our 10-year-old watches it again and again. But the, the sheer amount of shit in here is extraordinary. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and it's a little messy right now just because we're in the middle of three different productions. But uh, I, I assure you it's normally much more organized. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I was thinking about you uh, taking the cab ride down here. And, and uh, I was um, remembering this interview with the Coen brothers in which uh, the interviewer was asking them, uh, you know, how is it? how is it that you've avoided selling out to Hollywood. And uh, I can't remember which one of them responded, but one of them said, uh, actually, we, we sort of feel like Hollywood sold out to us. You know, they get to do what they want to do. And Hollywood has bent to their aesthetic in certain respects. And, and I think that that is analogous to your situation, at least like vis-a-vis -vis Madison Avenue. And in, in other words, like the projects that you do, you don't bend to the system, the system bends to, to, to you, to your whims. They come to you because they want that piece of you that seems to really capture, um, the, you know, the fascination of the public. Like you tap into this emotional nerve. Yeah. I mean, I, I thank you. That's very flattering. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it's, uh, I think that I am just, I happen to be in the right place in the right time. Um, that's not to say I haven't done a lot of work to sort mm -hmm. of achieve what, what you just described but I think that I mean if I had to just if I had to give the most abbreviated version of how I'm able to do what I do and make a living at it it's simply that via my YouTube channel um you know I've got whatever 80 movies up there mm -hmm. and 77 of them are just personal projects that I like to do for fun but via those personal projects you know I've reached an audience that's you know 50 million plus views and you know huge subscribership that's hits that market that's like 13 to 34 year olds 60 percent male 40 percent female and that's that's something that a lot of the clients a lot of the companies that I work with they want to be able to speak to that audience mm -hmm. um so that's nothing new that's existed for a while their desire to speak with that audience but what is new is is that I've been able to because of the internet because of YouTube I've been able to prove my access, prove my reach, improve my ability to communicate with that audience um, organically. Mm -hmm. I did it via my personal work, and I did that without much intention. I just posted it online, and it found this audience. So when you have a company, when you have a Nike, when you have a Mercedes-Benz that comes to me, um, they don't come to me the way they would come to a typical ad agency or something like that. They come to me and they say, hey, we want to reach the people that you're already reaching. Mm -hmm. So that's the point right there. That's the precipice. That's the line right there that is me being a product of being at the right place at the right time. Because when they want to reach my audience my way, you know, there's no, they would never suggest do, do it exactly this way, this way, or this way. Like mm -hmm. if they knew how to tap into this audience, um, if they knew how to communicate with these, this, this, an audience like this, they just do it. Like, what do they need me for? Right. So if they're coming to me for the audience that I'm already communicating with so effectively, um, why would they ever suggest that they know 
maybe how to do it better than I do. But at the same time, you see that all the time where, for example, Hollywood will look at a director or a writer and say, we love this person's work. Now come and make this movie. Oh, you know, we like what you did, but now we want you to do it this way. You know what I mean? And the system kind of wears people out and bends them to their own will. Yeah. Um, well, I think that it's probably headed in that direction. <laughs> but because this is such a new model, I think that I'm able to sort of... Uh, have a level of creative latitude mm -hmm. that um, hasn't really existed in certainly in advertising um, that I'm more than happy to take full advantage of. Right. Well, I think that, that uh, you know, my own personal opinion about <clears throat> why you're able to kind of tap that nerve is that there is an undeniable uh, authenticity and level of honesty in your work. Like you're just sort of I mean, on a surface level, you're just this guy. You're going to go out and you're going to tell this story, whether it's this sort of sweeping narrative with Nike traveling the world or, you know, your issue with the microphone on your, <laughs> on your favorite camera. It doesn't matter how pedestrian it is or how large it is. There's this emotional vein because you're, just, you're being honest and authentic to who you are, and I think people recognize that. And that is like that's – what, that's what resonates, at least for me. I mean – I mean, is that fair yeah? To say, you know, I, I I talk about this idea um, of the bullshit detector, and it's something I I talk about a lot. And what I think the bullshit detector is, and your son probably understands this, or maybe don't, maybe you don't understand it. But I think you're more conscious of the bullshit detector than we are. My 15 year old son is definitely more has a much more uh, in tune, sort of acute bullshit detector than I do. And what the bullshit detector is is that. You know, when, when you and I were, grew up, Rich, like we, we watched TV after school or whatever it might be, and we were forced to watch these 30-second commercials and then mm -hmm. get back to, like, you can't do that on television or Saved by the Bell or whatever you watch. We were forced to watch those 30-second spots, and we just dealt with it. Um, but now you look at my 15-year-old or you look at, you know, me to a lesser extent, and it's like everywhere. We are just inundated with media. It's not these 30-second clips that are in between, you know, five minutes of Saved mm -hmm. by the Bell, it's, it's a constant, constant, overwhelming inundation. It's Facebook, it's on our phones, it's everywhere we go on the internet, it's relentless. And what that sort of relentless media marketing nonstop in your face has done is it's, it's made your, your ability to figure out what's truthful and honest and what's bullshit much more quickly and much more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so you dismiss 99% of what you see. You just see it, you dismiss it. You, you were on Facebook this morning. Tell me one banner ad you saw running across the mm -hmm. side of your Facebook profile. Yeah, I can't, I can't like, remember you know, seeing no, one. Yeah, um, you know, name one commercial that played in front of your last YouTube video. Like, you can't. There's, right. it, it's invisible. And that's because your bullshit detector just dismisses it. Mm -hmm. So how do you penetrate that? How do you get through that sort of level of bullshit? And that's by being authentic. And I think for me, authenticity is just inherent to what I do. Um, I think that if Nike had come to me and they said, hey, we need to sell this exact product and we want you to discuss the attributes of it and we want you to sell it and explain how it works and all that, like, I wouldn't know what to do with that. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd have no idea. But I can definitely represent the big idea behind that because that big idea is truthful to me. It's this mm -hmm. idea of like, you know, making it count, getting out there and mixing it up. Like, yeah, I can talk to that mm -hmm. ad nauseum. Um, so yeah, so that's the bullshit detector. And I think that the bullshit detector, um, and people's understanding of it, again, just sort of enables me to do what I do. Because if you've got, you know, somebody coming to me and they want me to do exactly what's on this piece of paper, they want to follow this script to a T, um, you know, that's going to set off 
my kid's bullshit detector. Right. <laughs> right. And then as he's not going to know that he saw it. Uh-huh. When, you know, when I ask him name three commercials, he'll have no idea that he saw it. Right. Do you go home and quiz him about that kind of stuff? No, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, and your parent, you know, like you uh-huh. pick up on these things, you notice these things, and you see his behavior. And I remember when he was old enough to sort of figure out the remote control was when I first realized that he won't tolerate TV commercials. Mm-hmm. We had cable then, and the second a commercial would come on, it would change. The second, you know, Netflix on Netflix now, mm-hmm. but the Netflix on demand came out, whatever, six, seven years ago, then he stopped watching TV altogether. And then mm-hmm. with Hulu Plus, he's got this, and when he's watching TV on the internet, he's got three tabs open. The second it forces you to watch a commercial, one tab gets closed, the other tab gets open until the commercial's over, then he swings back to it. And it's like, how do you as a marketer possibly penetrate that? Mm-hmm. How do you get through that? Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching your newest little opus this morning about the Jeep getting stuck in the pond. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, and it's funny because it's on some level, it's just, it's a silly little movie. You're like, hey, I wanted to drive my Jeep across the, the pond. This is what happened. It's like stuck in the ice and all that kind of stuff. And you're trying to back out of it. Um, but you have this cool little um, kind of graphic, you know, voiceover that goes across it. And you say, um, you know, when I was a kid, I made a lot of really bad decisions. I guess I just forgot. I just, I, I guess I just thought I would grow out of that. And then you say, uh, not considering the consequences of your actions is something kids do, and I'm okay with that. And I think that that's kind of a profound statement. That really kind of encapsulates a big part of your ethos as a filmmaker, like sort of retaining that childlike, you know, kid mentality, you know, w- whether it's the aesthetic of your your studio here or even the the small little movies that you make that are very personal. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of become a, a mantra of mine but if I had like a mission statement in life it would be to realize all the promises I made to myself as a kid mm-hmm. um, because when you're a kid or at least when I was a kid I was really frustrated all the time sort of always getting like you know held back by adults and not being allowed to do this not being allowed to do that and just always being in trouble and it was like well, when I grow up that inner dialogue was always when I grew up mm-hmm. when I grew up I remember in fifth grade I was either suspended might have been thrown out of school for skateboarding in the hallways and the vice principal as he's screaming at me was like you think when you grow up you're gonna have an office that you can be able to skateboard in um and i had a half pipe mm-hmm. in my office here for <laughs> yeah. two and a half years uh-huh um did you ever take a picture and send it to him or uh i mean I'm, I'm not <laughs> one for <laughs> vendettas but, but in a fun kind of way not in a mean way i mean i will tell you that the high school that i dropped out of or was kicked out of sophomore year um has invited me to come speak to the entire, you know, body. Mm-hmm. So all the administrators, the teachers, and students in, in April. So um, yeah, it's a little bit of, of yeah, valid, and it's, validation. It, it's it's uh, it's important to understand. I want to talk about this. Like you look around the studio, and it's so you probably have people that want to come in here and do tours all the time. I see the sign, that, you know, please no solicitors or no no drop ins or whatever. Um, but you are not to the manner born. You know, this is. This is a hard-fought, you know, long road that got you to this place and a lot of work and, and not knowing where it was going to head. I mean, when you were 15, you dropped out of high school. At 17, you had a kid. You were living in a trailer, washing dishes and, you know, trying to raise a child and on welfare, right? I mean... Yeah, no, that, that's totally right. And, um, and to get from that place to, you know, dinner with the president and making commercials for Nike and... and you know, being in demand to the extent that you are is, is quite an extraordinary journey. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, in retrospect, I don't know that it makes any sense. And it's like one thing you realize when you get older 
is that it's like it's it's a whole bunch of tiny decisions mm-hmm. that you know that lead you to where you are and, and two things that I always say is like whenever anybody asks me advice um, via email which is great because I can always dismiss it with like four words which I always do but I mean these four words it's like work hard and be brave and I literally think if you sort of distill life or any career path down to that um, you'll find success and it's going to be scary mm-hmm. and who knows what might, the outcome might be but working hard is something that most people are scared to do they think they're it's their right or they're entitled to have a job that gives them free time and things like that and mm-hmm. yeah you're probably right but you know don't complain and don't make an issue of it when you haven't achieved all of your dreams or set do everything accomplish everything you set out to do um you know if you want to be home at six o'clock every night mm-hmm. and then being brave is just about taking chances like taking huge chances um you know, there's I, there's only two decisions in my entire life that I look back on and just have no idea what I was thinking when I made those decisions. And one was moving to New York City. I My only experience in life was working in a restaurant, in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, no education, no uh, resume, no career experience, no work experience, no friends. I knew one person in the city, my older mm-hmm. brother. Um, and I had no money. I had 800 bucks and a three-month sublet. Mm-hmm. Um, and a two-year-old, and like what I was think- terrifying. What I was thinking then, I I just I can't figure it out. I can't. I remember so vividly on a cigarette break with one of the cooks at the restaurant that I was working at, standing out back, and he's like, "Well, you know, the good thing about this place is that you can you always have a job here when you come back." Mm-hmm. And I was just so insulted, and I turned when to him. You come back. Yeah, I was like 18 years old. I turned to him, and I was like, "I'm never coming back." Mm-hmm. And I think it was that kind of conviction that you know, that made me stick it out. And the second decision was like quitting my, three years after moving to New York, I had like a really great job. I was managing an artist studio and I don't know what, how much money I was making, but it was like 60 grand a year. It was like a mm-hmm. good job. Um, I had a lot of responsibilities as a boss. I had a lot of like people working under me and it was exciting. Um, and I got the opportunity to like direct some really shitty TV commercial um, with a tiny budget of like 10 grand. Mm-hmm. But in order to do it, I would have had to quit my job. And without any hesitation or, you know, batting an eye, I immediately quit my job. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, uh, the second decision. I have no idea what I was thinking. See, when I look at that, though, I see this. Um, I see somebody who, who was able to identify something that they were passionate about, filmmaking. And whether it, whether it made sense or not, whether it was based in logic, you knew that this was something you wanted to pursue. And you were willing to you know, blindly step into the void and see what was going to happen. And I think when, when you do have that kind of passion and conviction and you're willing to put in the work, and even if it doesn't make sense and you don't, don't know where it's going to lead you, that, you know, the universe really does step in to, con, you know, conspire to support that in certain respects. I mean, looking back, it looks like a clean line, but I'm sure at the time it was pretty frightening. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I first moved to New York City and I met for the first time in my life rich kids. Um kids with like trust uh-huh. funds like the Hilton sisters when they were 20 <laughs> like meeting these guys and just like it was sort of unfathomable to me this idea of of you know them having everything in the world um monetarily anyways and I remember sort of like you know there was a level of jealousy about that I was I wish that I was able to live a, a life like they did when I was in my early 20s and um you know now I, I definitely like am so happy I'm so lucky 
to have been on welfare. I'm so fortunate to have lived in a trailer park. Mm -hmm. I feel so bad for these rich kids that they'll never get to experience that. Um, Because the truth is, like, why would I quit my job? Why would I move to New York? I mean, I still make sweeping, terrible decisions that just have no foresight whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth is, like, when it comes to your career, if I were to lose everything, I mean everything, if everything were to fail, if it were to go as tits up as it could possibly go, like what's the worst that could possibly happen? Like mm-hmm. I'd probably be back in that trailer park, maybe even on welfare, but like I had TV then. Like right. I had cable, I had PlayStation 1. Like it wasn't <laughs> that bad. Right. It wasn't like, I, you know, I was in Uganda earlier this year delivering uh, morphine to late-term AIDS patients. Mm-hmm. That's bad. You know, I was in I was in Afghanistan and and you know saw some gnarly shit. Like that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Taklaban, those people they literally lost everything and they're sleeping right. in in you know they're sleeping in the dirt. That's bad. This like really polished American version of what the you know what the sort of end of the line is or what rock bottom is is you know luxurious mm-hmm. compared to ninety nine percent of the population mm-hmm. of this planet. So when you put it into that context, it's like, is it that big of a deal? Right. Who gives a shit? <clears throat> well, I mean, this there's this weird, like, sort of pseudo-dissonance in what you do because on, on the one hand, like, being in sort of marketing and advertising, it's part of your job to kind of sell a product or a lifestyle or a lifestyle aspiration. But your message, your inherent message in everything that you do is really invest in experiences. Like, don't, you know, it's not about the stuff. It's about, you know, how these bold choices that you make, stepping out and testing yourself and, you know, doing the, doing, making the brave choice. Uh, but it's weird. Like sometimes those are, those can be at, I mean, sort of inherently those two things are at odds with each other, right? When it comes to like Madison Avenue, but you're able to find a way to get your idea across without falling prey to that trap, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, just to speak to experience. Is that, is that Accurate? I don't mean that. I, I don't want to misspeak. Or... I think so. Um, although I don't know. Um, but just to speak to experience, it's like, uh, you know, I always try to spoil my kid with two things, and that's like love and experience. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really buy him presents. I don't think I got him anything for Christmas this year. Like, yeah, I, but you, I took, you take him to Africa. You do these ex- crazy things. Ex- right? Exactly. So, like, I think experience is everything. Um, you know, I think that I don't know that I would be as brave as I am had I not been to Uganda. I don't think that I would be take the chances that I take had I not lived in a trailer park. I, mm. I don't think that I, I would live the lifestyle I live or do the things that I do or have been able to accomplish or have been able to accomplish if I was that rich kid that, you know, don't, they don't get experiences. Mm-hmm. They don't get those real-life experiences. Um, but I, to your point about Madison Avenue or which is such a weird, old-timey way to refer to right, the advertising industry. Was there a better way to describe it? I'm I mean, I think thinking. it's probably accurate. I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, are there even agencies on Madison Avenue still? I don't know. I you know, know more I, than I do. I have do. no idea. Um, you know, I t- <laughs> this is definitely not Madison Avenue right here. I typically don't work with... If Don um, Draper walked <laughs> into here, he would have a heart attack. I mean, the good news is I don't <laughs> work with Don Draper. I've been fortunate yeah. enough. Like, I don't... I rarely, rarely, rarely work with agencies, because the trouble with that is um, that's where the, sort of the creative lays. It lies is with ad agencies. They're the creatives. Mm-hmm. So for them to bring somebody like me in, I don't know, it seems like there would be a conflict. Right. You, you just gum up the works. Yeah. I don't know how to yeah. do that stuff. But <laughs> when it comes to dealing with a client, then I sort of act as the agency. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why it, it works out so well because, you know, then I'm able to present my creative and it's not within the context of someone else's creative. It's just mine. And mm-hmm. I'm able to kind of own it. Mm-hmm. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. What did you ask me? I don't remember. Uh, well, I mean, it all starts with this Something idea of investing in, investing in experience as kind of being your primary driver. Yeah, I mean, that's just because it's something I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to melding that with the work that I do for money, it's always like, you know, I, I think I literally said to Mercedes-Benz, I have no idea how to sell a car. And I've said to Nike, I have no idea how to sell a, a bracelet that tracks your energy expenditure. And you know, I'm working with J. Crew right now. I have no idea how to sell clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do know how to sell is ideas. And when I believe in those ideas, and those ideas are my own, um, I'm really good at sharing that. Mm-hmm. And that's why marriages like with Mercedes-Benz, which was very little about a car and much more about sort of, you know, getting out there and living and, you know, youthfulness and excitement and, and just this idea of like delving into the unknown. Um, given that's an abstract idea, but I know how to, you know, I know how to, I know how to talk about that. I know mm-hmm. how to present that. Um, and I think for consumers, uh, people like you and me, uh, I look at somebody like my kid and my kid only wears Nikes and mm-hmm. I think Nike makes a great shoe, but I also think Brooks makes a great shoe and I think Adidas makes a great shoe. I think there's a great, there's a handful of companies out that make really great athletic products, but why will he only buy Nike? Um, and the reason is because he believes in the idea behind that company, mm-hmm. as do I. I mean, like, just do it, like, shaped my 
childhood. Mm-hmm. Like Just mm-hmm. Do It is such an incredible thing. And the amount of marketing they do that's not about products, but it's just about big ideas. Like that's something I believe in. Apple, same kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. all those Steve Jobs isms are things I like <clears throat> think but different. I, I feel like Apple is like uh y- you know, this this wife of yours that you're arguing with all the time. You know, you have this love hate thing with them now because they're they're different now than they were. I mean they in in many ways, like Apple ignited this flame that allowed you to sort of pursue these things that you're doing now. It was that first computer that you got, that first camera, you know, the first editing software, and now they're in a different place than they were in your heart maybe ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, I what's don't, going on? I, I, I still, you know, I I think Apple's still maybe one of the greatest mm-hmm. companies out there, and I so believe in so much of what they do and all of that. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I, I pick on them the most probably because I have the most intimate relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why don't I pick on... Uh, have they ever approached you to do anything for them? Uh, I'm trying to think what that non-disclosure agreement that I signed uh, said. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, I mean, not they've never approached me to make a video for Apple. Right. Um, there, was, I was, there was a really op- fun opportunity to do something fun with Apple. Um, last summer, but I elected to proceed with my trip to Zimbabwe with my kid mm-hmm. instead of putting that on hold to do this project. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I like Apple. I totally believe in Apple. I still think they're making the best products out there. I just like, you know, like I want more, newer, better all the time. When right. I don't get that, I get mad. <laughs> I want my cell phone screen bigger. Like, yeah, yeah. give that to me, Apple. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I, I definitely believe in them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and their message and the things that they do. Right, and even, I mean, your first true viral video really was the iPod battery video, right? Yeah, Isn't it was right? like 2003. So, it was like three years before YouTube. Uh-huh. So how did that all, I mean, that was really, you know, when you look at it like in a Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours that you put in, I mean, that was many, many, many movies ago. And it's funny because when you go back and look at those earlier films of yours, um, you can see the progression in your skill level. Like they just get better and better and better and better, but they retain that same sensibility. Like you can all, like when you see a Wes Anderson movie, you know, immediately it's a Wes Anderson movie. When I see, you know, a Casey Neistat film in the first three seconds, whether, you know, I, I know how I got to it or not. Like I can tell that it's your film. That sensibility stays true from beginning to end. Uh, yeah. I'm, you know, it's when people ask me like sort of how, how did I, develop my style or how did I develop my aesthetic as if it's like some prescribed thing that I masterminded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I always explain like I was never taught the right way to do it. I was never taught how you're supposed to make movies. Um, So I was forced to figure it out. And when you have to figure it out, like that's when you find really interesting things. Mm -hmm. Um, Any beef that I have with art schools or film schools, it's just because of that. It's like to know a lot about art is very important. To know a lot about films is very important. But the idea that you can teach someone sort of the nuances of what it means to tell a story or to make a film that you can prescribe that, I think, is misguided. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, I mean, not having had that experience and then having to kind of overcome those own rules to find your own aesthetic, I mean, who are the people that you look to for inspiration or who have been mentors to you? Um, I don't know. You know, I like... I'm not even a big fan of his movies, although Bad Lieutenant... 
New Orleans, whatever it was called, it was like one of the is one of my favorite movies of of the ever. second Bad Lieutenant. Yes. not the Abel Ferrara. I mean, Abel Ferrara one was great, but like yeah. whatever. No, uh-huh. the the Werner Herzog one I thought was just so horribly underrated. Uh-huh. I love Nick Cage is also my favorite actor. Uh-huh. I'll see anything that he's in. <laughs> so like that combination was just like a most brilliant film. But Werner Herzog, like even like like the Ghost Rider stuff, like you're into that. I'll see anything yeah. that Nick Cage is in, I will pay twelve dollars to go to the movies and see. Uh-huh. He's just that great. Um, but I really like Werner Herzog, even though a lot of his movies, like Fitzcarraldo, like, like, what mm-hmm. am I supposed to do with Fitzcarraldo? Mm-hmm. But like when he says a quote, like every man should have to force every man should have to get a boat over a mountain once in his life. That's what I look to. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I find inspiring. Like, that's what I find amazing. Like, um, the burden of dreams, which was a documentary about the making of Fitzcarraldo, which was a feature by, Werner Herzog was why I fell in love with Werner Herzog, not mm-hmm. because of the movie itself. The movie itself, I thought, was like kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, his docs, I think, are incredible. But, right. you know, like in his book, Herzog on Herzog, he talks about if he were to have a film school, what would it be? And the application to get into his film school would be you'd have to walk from Berlin to Paris or Munich to Paris or something like that and uh-huh. keep a journal and then just send him that journal and that would be your application. Uh-huh. And like he wouldn't teach film theory or film history, he would teach you how to box. Um, so all of those ideas right. are ideas that I so, so, so believe in. Um, and, you know, I emulate to some degree. It's like I'm, the last time I hired um, an assistant, I hired somebody to work in my studio with me, like the most important questions are like, how capable are you with, with power tools? How mm-hmm. good are you with a circular saw? Do you know how big a sheet of plywood is? If I tell you to get me like you know, a three-quarter inch AC fur sheet cut into half. Like, do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I advertise it as a mop job. This is a job where you're going to be mopping the floor, sweeping, um, taking out the garbage, which is illegal here in my office. You have to pay mm-hmm. to have it picked up, and I don't, which means you have to walk it five blocks right. away and hide it in a city garbage can, which means all the paper has to be shredded before it gets thrown away. These are the things I look uh, for in an employee. Not things they teach in school. Well, not things that they teach in school, but more importantly, I think it's just like a, a resourcefulness and like uh, a wi- willingness to undertake things that you might not understand, I think is where mm-hmm. what's required to sort of succeed in any industry where there's no um, defined path. Mm-hmm. And how does that perspective kind of spill in, over into how you parent your son? <sighs> I pretend to know a lot about parenting uh-huh. because I've got like this great kid who gets like who's on the honor roll and like mm-hmm. no trouble and runs track and cross country and indoor. I mean, he's a, the kid's my hero, but um, I don't. I can't really take credit for him turning out so good. I think it's just dumb luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but my feelings on parenting have always sort of been they all fall back to one very basic principle, which is like, as a parent, it is not your job to raise a well-behaved kid. It's your job to raise a, a human being that will contribute to society in a positive way. And I think that's something that most parents lose sight of. I think that's why now more than ever, we're raising an entire generation of pussies, um, wimpy men raised by sort of their helicopter parents. Um, is that the right term? Helicopter oh, parents? Like hovering. Hovering parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Purell. It's like the downfall of manhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think that, like, it, and there's real risk in that. There's mm-hmm. risk in, you know, I'm, not to pick on anybody, but, you know, I, I like 
know friends that whose kids want to go to college that are 15 minutes away from their parents' house so they can come home for a meal anytime they want. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, that's, I don't think that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think you need to like push your children out there, teach them to take chances. Like how can you raise them to contribute to society in a meaningful way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, teaching your kids to always be obedient and always to say yes and never to question authority. Like, so what? So they can get fired from their job at age 44 after 12 years at the company and like, get six months pension or six months severance package rather. And then I mean, that doesn't even exist as a real reality anymore. So yeah, I mean, how do you I mean, so you have this great kid and he's he's thriving within this system that in some ways you kind of were reared on the outside of and you have all this sort of counterculture question authority, you know, DIY aesthetic that is very different from, you know, sort of being the good boy. Like, how does that reconcile? Uh, Well, I think that you know, very quickly, very, very young um, in his upbringing, he realized that it's like it's up to him to sort of define boundaries. And I remember his mother and I, like, we'd never let him get hurt. We'd never let him put himself in harm's way. But short of that, we'd let him do whatever he wanted to do. He wasn't allowed to be rude, wasn't allowed to be mean. But again, like, whatever you want to do, Mm -hmm. um, however that might manifest. And it forced him to find his own boundaries. I remember when he was very young, um, and he said a swear word for the first time. And I think he said it on accident. Uh, you know, I explained to him, I was like, look, it's, it's not cool when kids swear. It makes them look kind of gross and not smart. Um, when you're an adult, you understand when it's appropriate and not appropriate to mm-hmm. swear. But as a kid, it's, it's not a great look. And look around and watch your peers and watch when they swear when there aren't parents around. And, you know, and, and, and see if you think it's a cool look or if they look stupid. And he, like, never swore again. Mm-hmm. And, but it was his dis- I never said don't swear empower him to yeah and I think I, I've decision. always tried to do that with everything with the kid in, mm-hmm. in every capacity but I think a, a bigger thing was like I remember no matter what I did wrong or what I did um, as a kid it was always me doing something wrong it was always in trouble it was always my fault mm-hmm. um, when the principal would call home it was always what did you do not what happened and with Owen, it's always, I'll always, always take his word for it. I'll, I'll always want to know his perspective first because he's my kid and I trust him. Um, and that's a big, big, big deal for me because I never had that as a kid. Mm-hmm. No one ever listened to me. No one ever wanted to hear my side of what happened. Maybe deservingly, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I was stuck in what felt like a very institutionalized system that just didn't work well with me. Um, and it was my fault that I wasn't able to conform. It wasn't sort of the establishment's fault. Mm-hmm. And that's why with him, like, we sent him to kind of a pretty progressive um, primary school, and now he's in, in a high school that is also fairly progressive, and he's he has flexibilities and opportunities and options that I never had inside of that system. And the truth is, if he ever hit any walls, I'd just pull him out of the school, and stick mm-hmm. him in another school, I'd try something new, send mm-hmm. him to boarding school. Like I'd, you know, I'd, whatever... Whatever options there were, I'd be sure to exercise. And the very, very last thing I'd ever do, if I'd ever do it, was sort of blame him for mm-hmm. any sort of inadequacies he's having inside of a, a system. Mm-hmm. And that's the antithesis of, of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. It was always like, no, 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 be more like everyone else and fit in. Stop speaking up. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is wrong. Do as you're told. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never did well with that. Right. And the irony being that, you know, being sort of that iconoclast, now you're embraced by the system that you were told you were you needed to be more about when you were younger. Yeah, and, certain, and, you know I, and I think there's truths in that 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 you know go so so deep and I think there are so many people that I you know I look up to that at the time of of at the time they were 
they were bad guys, and then in, in retrospect, people came to appreciate what they did. I don't know much about Jesus. I'm not a religious person at all, and I'm Jewish. But, you know, he was a guy who, like, had all these big ideas, and he was persecuted and then killed for it. <laughs> and now look. Like, <laughs> the ultimate. Now look at him. Now look at him. <laughs> um, so I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think that, uh, you know, it's why I take such pride in doing academic lectures. And it's something I do all the time and I really enjoy doing. Um, just this idea that I'm sort of able to inform. Um, yeah. Can you talk about what you're going to be doing? Is it this spring or...? What, at MIT? Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Okay. So I was invited to uh, do a, a residency at MIT um, this spring, and it's a fellowship uh, within their media lab. Mm-hmm. So I'll be working with all these really great brains yeah, within the an, MIT Media Lab. That's an incredible lab. program that they have there, right? It's Just unbelievable. crazy yeah. brains there. These guys are so smart. Mm-hmm. It's like, And yeah. they're experimenting with all sorts of crazy new ideas and technology and all kinds of things right yeah i mean last time i was up there last week it was like we started talking about popcorn or lunch or something and like conversation went straight to quantum physics and quantum mechanics and it was you know it's like with me no matter where we start the conversation we'll always end it like either talking about cell phones or girls Mm -hmm. like that's the that's the (laughs) (laughs) that's like the denominator for me and with these guys it's quantum physics so it's very exciting for me so, to be in a position to be surrounded by, by people like but that. But re- what does that mean, residency? Are you going to teach there? Or are you going to you, – you're like a student there? I mean, it's somewhere, mean? it's somewhere in between yeah. both. I mean, the uh, Media Lab is mostly PhDs um, right. or people that are there working on their PhDs. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's a great deal of independence within the Media Lab where it's people focusing on individual projects to get done. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the infrastructure that I'll, I will be within is that I'll have all the resources of the school and of the lab, um, including all the great minds that are there, but I'll have like a great deal of autonomy in working on whatever I sort of want to work right. on. Right, are they going to let you make all sorts of videos about yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, they're excited cool. for me to do whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have one idea that I want to do there, which is just a preposterous idea, but I'll show it to you. I don't like to tell people ideas. I, right. I, I hate ideas. <laughs> you hate, you're, you're all about it, ideas, I though. hate ideas. Um, I always say, like, when somebody has tells me I have an idea, I cut them right off. Don't want to hear it. Um, show me, don't tell me. Mm-hmm. I think ideas are cheap, and they're accessible, and they're easy, and it's like a penny for your thoughts because that's what they're worth, a penny. Um, I believe in execution. Like, I love seeing things that are done. I love Elon Musk because he doesn't talk about how awesome electric cars are. He builds them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about how space travel should be. He builds rocket ships. Um, I believe in execution. And I remember, like, the, when, I f- became some, th- when this became something I was really conscious of was when I was talking to this dude who invented, um, he's a friend of a friend of a friend, but he invented, I think, Zigzag. I don't know what the mm-hmm. name brand it was. But they were rolling papers mm-hmm. with glue on them. Before him, rolling papers were just a piece of paper. And he's telling this story about when he's rolling a joint in college, and it wouldn't stick. So he invented, you know, putting a little piece it's of gum, yeah. and that was his invention. And as he's, like, telling me this and telling me about his other inventions, and he invented a new pen and, like, all this really interesting stuff, I was like, I, I have this great idea for it, and he cut me right off. And he's like, before you tell me your idea, no, it's going to take three to five years of research and development. It's going to take a million dollars before you're going to bring it to market. It's going to take, and just was throwing this litany of realities at me that were all part of the process of, of realizing it, that were all part of the action, 
not the idea. And it was right there that I realized that like my idea isn't worth shit because it's 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 so far from being done. Mm-hmm. Like it's it counts when you make it. Before you make it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I hate ideas. It's a very sweeping statement, and you know I don't mean that because I'm a, no, I get it. I live off of ideas. Yeah. But that sharing of ideas or that making ideas be precious or anything like that, I think is all um, overrated and entirely misguided. Mm-hmm. I think execution is what matters. My least cool. favorite thing in the world is when people have an idea for a movie. Like, I don't care. Right. I don't care about your idea for a movie. Um, and I think if you pick apart any of my movies, you'll see the ideas are not that interesting. Like, make it no, count. No, it's, it's all about execution. It, and that was one of the things I was going to say was that, you know, you could take this tiny little thing that in and of its, I mean, you know, bike lanes or, you know, pulling your Jeep out of the ice or whatever it is. These are very simple things. These are not epic ideas. They're tiny little things, but you make them personal, you make them honest, and then they resonate with people. Yeah, sure. I mean, you look, if you reduce any of my movies to a single idea, that idea is not original, mm-hmm. basic. I mean, like, make it count. It's like, well, let's just run around the world. Um, been done a million times before. Uh, everyone in my bike lanes, which is mm-hmm. me complaining about the NYPD harassing cyclists. Like, Texting type and that walking. In, yeah, type that into Google. Like, a million people have, have had that idea before mm-hmm. me. Texting and walking, everybody's had that idea before. There's nothing inherently original about my ideas. It's the execution that matters. Mm-hmm. And the execution is the shitty part. It's the hard part. Making stuff is the hardest, hardest thing. Um, it's like, you're a runner. I'm a runner. Mm-hmm. You're a much better runner than me. Not much. But I always say, like, I celebrate when people show up at the starting line, not what happens at the finish line. Because to show up at the starting line of a race means you did it. It means you're there. And that's the hard part. And that's how I feel about ideas, whether it's movies or art or spaceships or anything. I think it's really easy to talk about, and they're really easy to share. Um, but to show up, to actually do it, is what separates the. Mm. I'll always watch somebody's video when they email it to me. If it's garbage, I'll watch the first five seconds, but I'll always watch it. They followed through. Right. But when somebody sends me their idea for me, I just sort of delete the email because mm. I don't care. Right. Um, because one person put the effort in, whether it's good or not, they did the work. Whether it takes them seven hours across the marathon finish line or two and a half, they did the work um, versus just talking about it, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's, it's basic. I think that's a great place to end it. I know you're busy. You got to get back to your We're editing. at a time already? I, I know, say that but, as if uh, I didn't like force Rich to cut it off at no. 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with you all day, but I, I, I feel guilty because I know you're busy. But I, before we end it, I, I would want to ask one final question, which is, um, you know, for people that are listening, they, that are feeling stuck in their life or feeling like they're kind of living someone else's life or having trouble kind of moving forward on a dream that they have, you know, how can they, what are some sort of tips or maybe little nuggets of inspiration to help people, you know, make it count in their own life or, or begin to make that shift to start to, you know, actualize something more personal in their own life? Well, I always... I would say make something. I think that, I mean, it, it, it has a relationship with what I was just explaining, but I just think making something will give you a sense of accomplishment. If that means that someday you want to be a, you know, a big novelist, you want to be a, a big successful writer, you could just write something on some paper, write it, but do it. You know, if you want to be a, a photographer, then go take pictures. Don't have a phone, like don't have a camera, use mm-hmm. your phone. Like just do something. And I always find that that doing something is always an interesting step. My first movie I ever made was about like my 
baby mama's birthday party and it was terrible <laughs> it was absolutely terrible but if i hadn't made that first movie i wouldn't have made the second movie and if i hadn't made the second movie, and that's just how it works um the other thing i'd say is um and i'm sorry none of these are super awesome quotable yeah but it's just uh yeah it's I mean, sometimes the, the the answer is not sexy you right know what i mean it means it's, get off your ass yeah, and start I'm, doing something you know write one page write one sentence I mean, you know, shoot big, one picture we could spend another hour talking about just how much i believe in hard work i think work is everything i think this country is built on hard work and i think that you can do whatever you want with hard work um like there's this great quote that somebody said, but Ray Kroc gets credited for, and it's called the Tenacity Prayer. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, mm-hmm. um, and the Tenacity Prayer is I'm butchering it right now, but it's something like talents overrated, education's overrated. Um, the only thing that matters is is tenacity. And it's like persistence and tenacity alone are omnip- omnipotent. Mm-hmm. And I so believe in that. That's what Forrest Gump was about. Mm-hmm. It's a guy who had nothing but the willingness to put in the work. Um, but the second thing I would say is, uh, is nothing in life happens with a radical shift. You hear all these stories of, of overnight successes mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you w- will hear about the stories of like, I don't know, Flappy Bird, mm-hmm. the iPhone app, right. or like out of nowhere. He's making or 50 Instagram, grand. you know. Yeah, right. Sell it mm-hmm. for a billion bucks. Like uh, all these overnight successes, um, Facebook, I mean, overnight successes, but that's just like a really awesomely bankable romantic notion of an overnight success. The truth is like everything takes time, everything takes energy. Nothing in life will happen via a radical shift. Um, it's all about you know slow inc- incremental progress, and that's all anyone, um, that's all people are willing to accept when they're receiving it, and that's that's all you're able to do when putting it out there. Mm-hmm. So again, when I you know flash back to living in a trailer park. Um, in you know, in, in working in a restaurant, and now you know I, I have a, a radically different life. To compare the two is a huge stark contrast. But there's like 13 years in between there. You know, like before I lived in the sweet apartment. I, <laughs> yeah, before I lived in the sweet apartment I had now, there were like eight other apartments uh-huh. that were tiny, tiny, incrementally better. Before, you know, before I had a house in Connecticut where my kid and I live. Um, you know, I, I lived in the attic of my dad's business and after i lived in the attic i like moved in with my 90 year old grandmother and then mm-hmm. after that i like rented a one-bedroom studio where my kid and i lived on bunk beds and then after that i like rented this other apartment and then i rented this house that you know there's it's all about incremental progress mm-hmm. and there's nothing romantic or sexy about incremental progress but that's you know that goes back to the work thing mm-hmm. um oh yeah i thought of a good quote that is romantic and sexy um okay I'm trying to reduce it down to like something that you could like write in, in a tweet, but it's 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 this idea that this recipe for success that I've formulated and it's guaranteed to work. There will only ever be one of two outcomes, and that is if there's something you want to do. You want to be a movie star. You want to be a rock star. You want to build a spaceship. All you have to do is commit your life, commit everything you are to realizing that. And one of two things will happen. You will either succeed or you will have, it, you will have died trying, which is in its own right a level of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you reduce it to that, it's kind of okay. Have you seen the movie yeah, yeah. Anvil? 
Of course, my friend Sasha, who made that movie, is one of my best friends. Okay, that yeah. movie Anvil is about that. That's exactly what that movie that is movie's about. A, he never gets, he's delivering no. box lunches to schools yeah. in Canada. He never, ever, ever, ever gave up. And yeah. the idea that his career as a rock star would, would, would finally be realized because somebody has the foresight to make a documentary about how mm-hmm. shitty his life is. There's no way you can predict that. There's no mm-hmm. science, there's no precedent for there's nothing. But he never, they never, ever gave up, mm-hmm. ever. And he was going to die without giving up. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you stumble upon success. That was so not tweetable. But I think yeah, some of that might have been. That's pretty awesome, though. You got to, I think that might be a book. You might have a book in you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just don't know how to spell real I good, know. so I can't write. So I make right. movies. There's ways, there's ways around that. Yeah, spell jet. So, all right. Well, that was awesome. I think that's a great place to stop. So thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. So if people want to um, learn more about Casey, the best place to do that is to go to your YouTube channel. That's first. Second is Instagram, Casey Neistat on Instagram. Yeah, it's pretty good. Sometimes Twitter. Sometimes I'm really bad. I wish I was better at Twitter. Yeah, you're pretty good. Nobody cares about websites You're a master of Instagram, though. If you you guys aren't following Casey on Instagram, that's stop what you're doing right now. It's my favorite of the social social networks. And then watch uh, his little short film about why he loves Instagram. Oh, yeah, I forgot I made that movie. It's a classic. That was cool. It was cool when that happened, too, because your Instagram exploded like overnight when that went viral. Yeah, you know, I really regret not putting a um, my own Instagram handle in that movie, which I didn't do. Oh, you didn't do that? <laughs> I didn't even know that. I mean, if I had known uh-huh. a million people were going to watch the movie, out of you know, put a little follow me plug at the end. Yeah. What's next? What What's uh, anything exciting? Yeah, I mean, there? I have two really, really exciting movies that are both coming out in early March. Um, and if a movie shot on a cell phone of my car being stuck in a pond is the lowest end of my production. These are the highest end mm. of my productions. I have a movie coming out the first week of March called uh, My Kid and Me. And it's this movie that I've shot it over 12 years, but it's like kind of the story of My Kid and Me. And I finished it like two years ago. So I don't know if it's any good anymore, but I remember mm. it being really good. But I'm going to release that the first week of March. And then this project that I'm doing for J. Crew right now is just going to be so awesome. Mm-hmm. We threw everything we had at it. Cool. When is is that going to debut on YouTube, or is that everything always? Yeah. Uh, YouTube is the only currency that I that I function within. All right. I love it. All right, man. Thanks. Yep. All right. Peace. Plants. All right, people. That's our show. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. What a treat. I love that guy. It was super cool to be able to visit him and sit down with him. So I hope you guys dug it. Definitely check out his YouTube channel. Check out his Instagram. You will not be disappointed. Uh, And at richroll.com in the show notes, uh, I will have that Nike video up, the Make It Count one, as well as the Walter Mitty Philippines video that he made. And uh, you should definitely also check out his snowboarding video. Once you start watching his videos, though, be careful. It's it's addicting. You might be sitting there for hours because he's got lots of them up there. In any event, I want to support the podcast. Go to the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. Won't cost you a cent extra on your Amazon purchases, but Amazon kicks us some loose change out of their massive coffers. And I really appreciate everybody who's been doing that. It's been awesome. And uh, you should feel good about yourself because it's allowing me to pay Tyler, my son, to produce this show. So by using the Amazon banner ad, you are supporting entrepreneurship. You are supporting youth. And uh, I thank you. And Tyler thanks you. Uh, What else? The big announcement. Uh, Finally, 
We got the Plant Power t-shirts up at ritual.com. Super excited to now be able to make those available to you. I know there's been a lot of demand. And uh, we've got three initial designs up there. We've got a Star Wars-themed one, and then we have the uh, original plant design with the hashtag plant power on it. All 100% organic cotton. We have men's and women's styles, and we got all the sizes there. So go check that out. Also, uh, in case you didn't know, I wrote a book. It's called Finding Ultra, sort of my uh, inspirational <laughs> memoir of my personal story. A lot of plant-based nutrition information in there too, but predominantly just a, a good read, if I do say so myself. And it's now available in paperback, uh, so you can pick that up at Amazon. Of course, by using the Amazon banner ad, it's super cheap too. Uh, if you want a signed copy, I've got signed copies of Finding Ultra in, in paperback uh, at richroll.com, so you can do that as well. If you want to learn more about how to get more plants into your diet, interested, curious, your plant curious, check out our course at mindbodygreen.com, three and a half hours of streaming video content and online community, downloadable tools, all sorts of stuff to help you notch it up a little bit, uh, whether you're a long-time plant-based person or just uh, new to the whole idea, not sure where to start. We're really proud of it, and uh, I stand by it. So go check that out as well. Okay, so that's it. Uh, thanks for stopping by. I know you guys have a lot of choices when it comes to content. There are so many podcasts out there, and uh, it really means a lot to me that you would spend a couple hours with me every week. So I am doing my best to continue to raise the bar and I've got some great guys coming up. So until then, I'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by. I'm out of here. Peace. Plants. Yeah.